Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. beginning in verse number 1. Then Jesus called His twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And He said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor script, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the anointing to be able to deliver it. Touch the ears of hearers to hear and receive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Continuing on the 16th or 17th, I've got 17 down here, maybe that's right. Uh, message in our Red Letters series here. We're in Luke chapter 9, preaching our way through the book of Luke, paying attention to the Red Letters. We come upon this call that God gives to His 12 disciples. And so today, we're going to be talking about responding to the call of God. Now, the call of God will never lead you where the providence of God cannot keep you, or I like to call it where the will of God will not keep you. God doesn't have a person to waste. God didn't make you and then say, whoops. God doesn't have a person to waste. So we have to ask ourselves this question today. What are we going to do with the call of God that is on our life? Every single person has a call. Calls vary. They're different. Not everyone is called to the same thing. But every single person has a call upon their life. With that said, let's just look at what happened here in Luke chapter 9. When Jesus was talking to the twelve disciples, and the Bible said He called them together, all twelve of them, and He gave them the power and the authority over all devils and to cure diseases. So we see that Jesus was getting ready to issue a call to them to go do the work of God. But before He did that, He equipped them for their task. Now let me put it like this, or let me say it like this. God will not equip you for something He's not going to call you for. What would be the reason for Jesus to equip these apostles with the power to cast out devils and to heal the sick if there wasn't going to be any devils that they were going to have to deal with and there wasn't going to be any sick folk they were going to run into. Makes sense, doesn't it? So, Jesus began to equip them before He called them. The equipping of someone for the call of God upon their life is a pretty good indication of what the call of God is going to be on that person's life. God's not going to call you to sing if He doesn't equip you to sing. He would have to equip someone else to to pray for healing for people's ears first. So if God's called you to sing, you're going to be able to carry a tune. If God's called you to do music, God's going to give you that gift. 
If God's called you to be a public speaker, God's going to give you those gifts. If God's called you to business, God's going to give you the gift of business. If God's called you to the medical field, God's going to give you gifts that line up with that calling in your life or politics or lawyer, whatever. God's going to give you those gifts. So Jesus equipped them for this task. He said, I'm going to give you power and I'm going to give you authority. Now, power is strength or ability, and authority is the right to use it. So God gave them the strength and the ability to do what they needed, and then He gave them the authority to use it. He gave them the right to use it, and He provided them with targets, and those targets were all devils and diseases. Then we go to verse number 2, and the Bible said He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So we see that in the commissioning, after he equipped them, then he sent them. Somebody say, sent. So he equipped them and then he sent them. And what did he send them to do? First of all, he sent them to preach God's systems and God's ways of doing things. He preached, he sent them to preach that the, about the kingdom of God. And then, oh, by the way, since I've given you this strength and ability and the authority to use it, go ahead and heal the sick folk that you run into while you're doing that. So he commissioned them to preach the gospel. He commissioned them to speak things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And he commissioned them to heal the sick. The call of God on the church today, the call of God to us today still includes these two commands. Our primary purpose, the church's primary purpose is to communicate things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We're to preach the gospel. We're to preach that Jesus was born of a virgin, that He confounded the doctors in the temple at the age of 12 years old, that at the age of 30 years old, He performed His first public miracle when He turned the water into wine there in Cana of Galilee. I like to say it like this. His first miracle wasn't to shut down the party. It was to keep the party going. <laughs> Jesus was getting started. And then three and a half years later, he was crucified on a place called Calvary. Walked the Via Dolorosa, shed his blood on Calvary, stretched his arms out, cried it is finished, hung his head and died. Then a few days later, the Bible said that he rose from the dead conquering death and hell in the grave. And for 40 days he walked, proving himself with many infallible proofs. He proved himself. Then standing on a mountain one day outside of Jerusalem, he begins to ascend into heaven and two men stood by and said, why do you stand gazing into heaven? Because this same Jesus, which has gone away, is so come, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then Jesus ascended up into heaven. He took his rightful place by the Father as the intercessor between God and man and the head of the church. And now he's waiting for the Father to say, go get your bride. He's waiting for the Father to tell him to go and get your bride. And so this is the gospel. We're supposed to preach the gospel. We're supposed to preach about the power of the blood of Jesus. We're supposed to preach about the power of the cross. We're supposed to preach about redemption and sanctification and how that God makes us holy and how that God justifies us just as if we had never sinned. This is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We're commissioned by God. The church is commissioned by God to preach the gospel of the grace of God to a lost and a dying world. But then that commission doesn't stop there. He commissions us to heal the sick. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, speak with new tongues, tread on serpents and scorpions. If they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. And then the Bible said that as they preached the kingdom of God, the Bible said that, that people were healed and set free because the Lord was working with them. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 told the Corinthian church this. He said, I brethren when I came to you came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God for I determined not to know any Thing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in the power and in the demonstration of the Spirit of God, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, we have a commission from heaven as God's church. We have a commission to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have a commission to demonstrate His power. The church should not preach something they do not produce. I said we ought not to preach something we don't produce. We shouldn't declare something that we can't demonstrate. And so... How are we going to be able to see someone get their miracle if we never lay hands on them and believe God for their miracle? How are we ever going to believe that someone gets set free from the powers of demonic oppression and depression and sometimes, yes, even possession in the day and age in which we live if we don't stand in that place of authority that God has given us and say, I take authority over you in the name of Jesus and command you to go. How will we ever demonstrate the power of God if we don't get busy demonstrating. And so the church needs to take their place. We can preach the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can preach about power and deliverance. We can preach about miracles. We can preach about these things, but there comes a time when we need to put up or shut up. Amen? And this is what Jesus was telling them. He said, I'm giving you power. You go preach the kingdom of God. You preach things pertaining to the kingdom of God, but after that, I want you to heal people. I want you to demonstrate. I want you to tell them what's going to happen by faith and then I want you to demonstrate. And then the Bible says that when they did it, the Lord worked with them. Now go to verse number three. I want to talk about this foundational serving lesson that Jesus was teaching here. And some people get this confused and I just want to kind of clarify. Verse number three. Jesus said to, to them, don't take anything for your journey. No staves, no script, no bread, no money, and don't even have two coats apiece. Now, if we read that, we could get very confused. We could think that Jesus was teaching them that if they were going to live for the Lord, they were going to have to live poor. That's not what the Scripture was teaching. Here's what Jesus was teaching them. God is your source and your resource. That's what He was teaching them. So Jesus was teaching them to look to God for your supply. Quit looking to people around you. Quit looking to your job. Listen, your job can give you money, but God is your provider. 
I said your job can give you money, but God is your provider. And so we've got to learn to look to our Heavenly Father. Because let me tell you something, your job can't provide for you everything that you're going to need. But God can. God can provide everything that you're going to need. So he was teaching them. When he told them, he said, take, don't take anything for your journey, nothing to protect yourself, no stays, no scripts, nothing written down where you've thought about it, no bread, nothing to eat, no money to buy anything, and don't even take two coats apiece. Jesus was telling them, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to learn how to live by faith. The Lord spoke to me several years ago, and he said this to me. He said, son, whatever you get from this point forward, you're going to get by faith. And I thought, oh my goodness, what does that even mean? And I began to study that and I found out that it's a better way to live because it takes the heat off of us. Listen, it's not my job to provide, it's God's job to provide. It's my job to surrender. It's my job to obey Him. If I need the Lord to provide something for me in a monetary way and I say, Lord, would you just provide this for me? And then someone comes up and says, if you'll do this, I'll give you so much. Then I'm in the will of God to go ahead and do because the Lord just provided the way. It's important for us. Now, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to teach you right now. When you walk by faith, that doesn't mean you just sit at home in your lazy boy recliner and watch the Hallmark Channel all day long and say, I'm believing God. Amen. Amen. Faith without works is dead. And just in case we didn't get it, the Bible said being alone. So it's important. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to have to work your faith. And you're going to have to work what faith provides. So when we work and we work our faith, faith without works is dead. Being alone, then we can receive the manifestation of what we're needing from the Lord. So then we go to verse number four, and who, whatsoever how she enter into, the Bible said, there abide and thence depart. So what Jesus was saying to them was when you get out here, don't be cumbered about with a whole bunch of lodgings. Just stay wherever you enter. So what was he trying to teach us? Lesson number one, where you stay is not nearly as important as what you do. That's what he was teaching us. Where you stay is not nearly as important as what you do. God cares about the house that you live in. He cares about the car you drive. He cares about the life that you live. But He doesn't care about that uh, any more than He cares about how you're handling yourself, how you're conducting yourself. Where we stay is not anywhere near as important as what we do. So, how can I make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do? Well, you become what God has made you to become. You allow God to develop you and then... And then that development produces the doing and then God adds the anointing to his development to that doing. And when that takes place, then the provision comes because we're living by faith and we're surrendered. Our, we've surrendered our lives to the hands of the potter. So it's important for us to surrender ourselves to our heavenly father. Lesson number two in this where we're talking about whatever house you enter into there abide and thence depart. Lesson number two, I think he was teaching them that if you bounce around and you go from one place to the next, then what will happen is there'll end up being a little competition maybe between different people. So stay in one place so people aren't fighting over you. They're just focusing on the gospel. So it's important for us to not do anything in our life that would detract people from the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I feel the need to clarify that just a little bit. I think it's important for us to live a life in such a way where people are not looking at us, but they're paying attention to the gospel. They're paying attention to what our life is producing. Listen, I think it's important for people. I don't want people to look at me and say, wow, there's Pastor Jonathan or, or whatever name they want to put in front of that. I don't think that they... I, I want them to be, wow, wasn't that a great word from Lord today? From the Lord today. You become a reflector of the glory of God. You become a reflector when people start heaping praise your direction. You just get behind the reflector and you reflect it to the Lord. Because let me tell you something. It's the word of God that's changing people's lives. It's the Word of God that changed your life. It's the Word of God that's changing other people's lives. It's not our dynamic personality or our magnanimous personalities. It's the Word of God that changes people's lives. Let me tell you something about personality-driven places. When you go to a church that's personality-driven, when that personality fails, you become disappointed and you can lose out with God. But when you go to a place that's presence driven, are you hearing me? Driven by the presence of God, where God is constantly being edified and lifted up. Where you, when you go to a place like that, then when that personality fails because they're human and we all do, then it's not that big a deal because you didn't put your confidence in the personality, you put your confidence in God. You put your confidence in in the vision that God has for the house. Then verse number five. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And the Bible said they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So verse number five, if someone does not accept you, the Bible says to dust off your feet and move on. Now let me say something about this. This doesn't mean dust off the feet, dust off the, the dust from your feet with an attitude. It doesn't talk about doing it with an attitude. People don't accept it. Well, bless God, they didn't accept me, so I'm just going to dust my feet off, and, and it's a testimony against them. Well, you nasty spirit, get out of them. That, that's not the way to do that. That's not what the Bible's talking about. What the Bible's talking about is putting your efforts where it's accepted. Another place in the Scripture, the Bible said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Okay, so what that's talking about is find places where people are receptive. There came a time in your life when you became ripe for the picking. Hello? What about, say maybe, maybe three months or six months before you gave your life to Christ? Were you ready to receive Christ? Probably not. Probably not. But there came a time in your life when at the right moment, at the right time, someone shared with you the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you were convicted in your heart and you gave your life to Christ and God totally and completely changed your life. And a lot of us, a lot of you, had a radical transformation that took place because of the power of the cross and because of the delivering power of the blood of Jesus. A lot of you experienced that. Well, six months earlier, you probably would not have experienced it in that way because you weren't ready to receive what was offered. And this is what this scripture is talking about. It says, just shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Go to the next place. And when you go to the next place, 
then minister to them. And so I put this down here when I was working on it. I said, as lesson number one is time is too valuable to force feed people truths that they are not really interested in learning or they're not ready to receive. I could have put that there too. So search for hungry hearers. Instead of trying to convince this one person that they need Jesus, then say, I'm going to pray for you. And go and take the time that you would be arguing with that person about whether they needed Christ or not and go over here and win 10 more to Jesus. That's what he's trying to teach us here. So he's trying to teach us to be discerning. And he was trying to teach them, be discerning. Go to the places where you're celebrated, not tolerated. Go to the places where you are received. Go to the places where the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is received. And so what do we do with those that say, well, I don't want you in my house. I'm not interested in hearing you. We don't develop an attitude against them. We realize that they are blinded by their situation. And the Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians that we should pray that the blinders fall from their eyes so they could see their need for the Savior. So we don't get an attitude against them and we don't get offended by them and we don't let them hurt us. No, no, no. What we do is we just put them on a prayer list and we pray for them every day. Father, touch them. Help them realize that they need you. So, when we look at all of this in life application, there are some questions that we need to ask ourselves. Number one, what's the call of God for my life? You say, well, you know, when I was small, I felt like the Lord wanted such and such, but life happens and as time goes on. You know, I just kind of got away from that. Let me tell you something. You may have changed your idea about the call of God on your life, but God has never changed His. Scripture says this, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And so we surrender ourselves to the call of God that's on our life. We receive the gifts that's on our life. Even that Scripture itself, the gifts, the equipping, and the calling of God the official call of God, are without repentance. So He has gifted you, He has equipped you with what you need, and then He has placed the call upon you, and God says, no matter how long you live, I'll not change my mind. That's how much confidence has in you, and God has in you, and let me say it like this, that's how powerful Calvary is. That's how powerful the cross is. God called you to preach when you were a child, just because you went out and sowed your wild oats doesn't mean God's changed His mind about you. No, 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 no. He's ready for you to embrace the call so He can help you grow in God. So what's the call of God upon my life? And then the next question we need to ask ourselves is, am I allowing myself to be equipped and trained to be effective in this area of ministry? Am I submitting myself to those that, that can equip me and those that can train me in this particular area of ministry? Then the third question we need to ask ourselves, am I stepping into my calling? Am I trying to fulfill my call? And then the fourth question we need to ask ourselves is understanding that time is short. How can I accelerate the call of God and become more effective as it pertains to the call of God up on my life? So the life application is, first of all, we just have to have an honest conversation between ourselves and God about the call of God upon our life. 
And we have to have an honest conversation about are we allowing God to equip us? Are we allowing ourselves to be taught and trained to be able to fulfill the call of God that is on our life? What if the disciples here would have said, well, Jesus, I understand what you're saying and I appreciate you giving me power and ability and authority over all the works of the enemy and the healing and stuff like that. But you know, I just don't feel like uh, that I'm ready to step out into that right now. What if just one of those 12 disciples would have said that? What do you think Jesus' response would have been? What do you think it would have been? What is our response? What kind of response do we have when we talk about the call of God? Are we ready to respond to the call of God? Are we ready to embrace the call of God? Just because you embrace the call of God for your area of life right now doesn't mean you necessarily step into it at this precise moment. It means you step in to the training of it. It means you step in to the equipping of it. Allow God to develop you. Allow God to equip you. Allow God to prepare you to one day flow fluently and freely in the power and the authority that he has provided you when he gave you the gifts right before he gave you the calling. So that's my encouragement to you today is what's the call of God upon your life? You're going to have to learn to live by faith. You're going to have to learn to live by faith. Don't get trapped in the natural desire for the acquisition of things. Don't get trapped in that. The Bible said, Luke 12, 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And if we trust God and we believe God and we're surrendered to God, then the Bible said in Matthew 6 and verse 33 that he'll bring the things to us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So, how do I embrace the call? Let's talk a little bit about embracing the call and we'll be through this morning. How do I identify the call that's on my life? Well, what gifts have God, has God downloaded? Well, I'm just, I'm just too old to do anything for the Lord. You're not dead. You're still sucking air. Amen? God's got you alive for a reason. Amen? If you were dead then you would be done. But you're not done, so you're not dead. Look at your neighbor and say, dead or done. <laughs> not done. You ain't dead. Amen. Amen. So, identify the call. So, some people, now listen to me, just to clarify. We're going to talk a little bit about identifying the call. Some people are called to business. It's my calling. I'm called God has, maybe God has gifted you with the ability to do a unique business. There's places in the scripture where the Bible said that he would give us witty inventions. In other words, he'll give you an idea that no one else got. You know what happened years and years and years ago when my dad was painting? We would be painting, I was a kid, and we'd be painting, and dad made the statement to me once. He said, you know, somebody really ought to invent a way to pull paint up into this uh, up up into this handle here, so we can just push it out as we roll down the wall. Later on, someone invented that, but I can tell you right now, before it was ever thought of, at least to my knowledge, the Lord gave my dad that witty invention. 
Now, he didn't know how to market it, but it was there. A youth pastor. How many remember the Care Bears, the little bears that had the hearts? A youth pastor invented the little heart to put on the bears. God gave him that in prayer one day, and he marketed that and made over a million dollars on a little tiny heart that you would just put on the outside of a little bear. Witty inventions. Colonel Sanders. Kentucky Fried Chicken. God gave him a recipe like no other. Hallelujah. And he was told no over a thousand times and he lived in the back of his station wagon until finally one, somebody told him yes and voila, there are Kentucky Fried Chickens all over everywhere. Kentucky Fried Chicken recipe stores, not Kentucky Fried Chickens. We just get the chickens and make them Kentucky Fried. Amen. Witty inventions. <laughs> Witty inventions. Think about it. Think about it. So some people God has called to that. God's called some to be inventors. God's called some to be business people. God's called some people to be politicians. Amen. God's called some... <laughs> There's some of those that are, you know... Never mind. God's called... <laughs> Well, you know, the devil tries to simulate everything that God does. And so there's bad business and there's bad politicians too. Bad business people and bad politicians too. So God's called some people to music. God's called some people to creative arts. God's called some people to practice law. God's called some people to practice medicine or some type of thing in the medical field. There are some people who are called by God to just research, to research and find cures for different things. Some people are called for, to manufacturing. Some people are called to engineering. Some people are called to preach the gospel. Some people are called to teach the word of God. Some people are called to educate. There are people that are called to educate and the list just goes on. All of us are called to experience Calvary. Every single one of us, doesn't matter if you're a business person, a politician, a person called a music, creative arts, whatever, we're all called to Calvary. And then in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, the Bible teaches us that we're all called to pray. All of us are called to pray. What does the word say? The Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. So it's important for us to respond to the call of God that's on our life today. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a few moments. And I want you to think about this. The call of God on your life is somehow woven into the communication of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. God may have called you to business. God may have called you to politics. God may have called you to medicine. He may have called you to be a professional in some area. But every last one of us are called to a relationship with God. And we are called to help others have that relationship with God. And God's Word tells us if we pray, 
if we pray and turn from our wicked ways, that God will hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and heal our land. The driving force of this message today, out of Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, where Jesus was talking to, to the disciples, the driving force of that entire message is to get people to respond to the ways of God. The kingdom of God, God's ways, God's systems and ways of doing things. So from my heart today, and I believe it's from the heart of our Heavenly Father, I want to challenge you to re-examine the call of God for your life and what you're doing with that call to build the kingdom. Just take a moment right now and just examine your heart. There may be places in your past that you might need to say, Lord, we need to talk about that. You tried to get through to me and I just wasn't open to you. And I, I repent of that, Lord. Some of you that are here this morning, I can sense by the Holy Spirit, some of you that are here this morning, you need to recommit to the call of God that's on your life. There are gifts sitting in these chairs today that are laying dormant for the kingdom. What if we all use the gifts that God gave us to build the kingdom? How many more people would give their life to Jesus? How many more people's lives would be changed and transformed by the power of God? You have a business gift and you've laid it aside. You have a songwriting gift and you've just laid it aside. You have a creative arts gift and you've just laid it aside. You have a passion and a heart inside of you to minister care to the hurting and you maybe went for education, but you just kind of backed away from it because, you know, life happens. Maybe it's time to pick that education back up and to go to the next level. You say to me, well, Pastor Jonathan, I'm, I'm just at the end of my life. I mean, there, there's nothing in the world that I can... Listen, here's what you can do. You can help someone else. You can take all of the wisdom, the lifetime of wisdom practical wisdom, business wisdom, relationship wisdom that God has poured into you through the years and you can pass that to the next generation. Well, how can I do that? Find receptive hearers and pour into them. Pour into their life. Create that legacy of helping the next generation. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You say, I need to give my life to Christ. Or maybe you've given your life to Christ in the past a long time ago. And maybe you've just kind of backslid and got farther and farther away from the Lord. But you want to restore that relationship with the Lord. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. I don't know. I just deliver the word. And I pray for you. And I try to help you. But only you know the thoughts of your heart. You and God know the thoughts and the intents of your heart. I know for a fact that there are people who come to church all of their life. I've prayed with them on their deathbeds to finally give their life to Christ. 
You don't have to come to church all of your life and then give your life to Christ at the end. You can give your life to Jesus right now. Well, everybody thinks I'm saved. Who cares about that? God knows your heart. He loves you. You can be so busy working for the Lord that you lose your relationship with the Lord. I've seen it happen over and again. I want to pray with you right now. If you're one of those that says, I need to make things right with God, I just want to pray with you right now. Just, just from your heart, begin to pray and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I need to make my heart right with you. I ask you to forgive me. I repent of my sins and my wrongdoings. I ask you to come into my life and be the Savior of my soul and the Lord of my life. From this point on for the rest of my life, I want to please you and to live for you and to embrace your call. Now, those of you that's here today and you may say, you know, this has really struck home with me. I've just kind of laid things down. The Bible puts it like this. Don't hang your harp on the willows. Maybe you've just hung up your gifts, but the Lord is saying, you know, get that gift back down. Let's dust it off. Let's put it to work for the kingdom. If God's been working on you in that particular area, I want you just to pray with me right now. And I want you to say, Dear Lord Jesus, I repent of just laying the gifts down that you have given me. I'm going to take them back up again. And Lord, even if it's to pass them to the next generation, then that's what I'll do. But Lord, if you'll guide me and you'll direct me, Lord, I'll reactivate those gifts for you. Because, Lord, we don't want your kingdom to just survive. We want it to thrive. Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you for it. And just ask God to open doors for you. Lord, open doors for me. Help me to see clearly what I should be doing, who I should be talking to, who I should be communicating with. Help me see clearly the next step that I need to make. Because, God, I want to honor you for the rest of my life as I finish well. I give you praise, Lord. I give you praise. Now I want us all to stand. Come on, let's just all stand. And as you stand, just lift your hands toward heaven as a sign of surrender and just begin to speak to the Lord and tell Him, Lord, my life is yours. Tell Him, Lord, my life is yours. Jesus, I belong to you. Tell him, Jesus, I belong to you. The rest of my life belongs to you, O God. Jesus, I belong to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Be the Lord of my life. Come on, lift your voices. Begin to talk to him. Lord, I belong to you. I surrender my life to you. I surrender all. They're going to sing a little chorus. And as they do, I just want us to have this little time of consecration to the Lord. And just begin to... Turn your life back over to the Lord. Lord, I'm not going to let my life just be laid down. I'm going to pick back up those gifts. I'm going to pick that calling back up. God, I'm going to let you use me and activate me, oh God. Come on, as they sing this little chorus, let's just pray those kinds of prayers. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day.
Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.